Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash the ringer. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Controversy, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin! Verna, what's going on this Friday morning? Well, we are getting through. Um, everything is still very awkward. I do guess we need to touch on, uh, at the very beginning of the show, a floated idea. I actually talked with Chris Mannix yesterday uh, from Sports Illustrated. I believe CNBC was the first one to float the idea, and then Mannix attempted to advance the story yesterday for Sports Illustrated about them, uh, the NBA talking about if they are able to resume it, that travel would be very, very difficult to pull off, therefore would be looking to do it in, a, in one city where they could maybe stage the playoffs, and Vegas has come up. They obviously have the hotel rooms. They have the ability uh, with their dealings with Vegas, which that relationship has gotten much, much stronger over the last couple of years. You know, the same way they they do with Summer League, that you could go and stage the playoffs there, and then you have a what, uh, an attempt to make it the most safe possible environment with testing being able to be actively done. Obviously, we still would not have fans, um, but rather than players traveling from city to city and whatnot, that you quarantine them in a way and are able to finish out a season like that, which I found you know incredibly interesting considering, I mean, you and I, I see you out in Vegas every summer, and when you think about it, they could pull this off, theoretically. Um, you know, obviously we're talking a lot, uh, a lot longer from now, um, but if you are going to try to finish a season, it's at least an interesting idea that's been floated out there. Sure. I mean, you and I have hit on this from the start last month that there's a possibility when this comes back that it, they're going to need a neutral site, a, a central location for these games to be played. And as the weeks go by, that possibility goes from theoretical to something that seems like a necessity. And as Manix reported yesterday, as you know, Windhorse did last week, I believe, too, you know, it's about finding that right location and getting all these players to buy in. And then you're going to need more consistent testing as well. And that's the one thing I keep going back to. Are you going to have some type of test for all the players, coaches, referees, you know, security, you know, if players have family there as well, how are you going to make sure that players are healthy on the day of a game? And in order to do that, you're going to need one of these tests that we're finding out about this past week that are in development that can turn around results within five to 15 minutes. You're going to need something like that. And <laughs> I mean, it's doable. It's possible if you can put all the players in a bubble, essentially like an Olympics village. I mean, <laughs> when the, fir- the first week the NBA you know, shut down, I remember one reader emailed me this whole big idea. And I'm sorry, I, I-, I forget the name. I can't pull it up right now. But they mentioned the idea of like Olympic village for NBA players. And I read that at the time and I'm, and I thought to myself, 
sure, you know, it's sure, but it just doesn't seem realistic. But as the weeks go by, though, it's I think the NBA is all in on doing something like that with at least one central location, maybe two. Um, it feels like with all the support behind it, that that's perhaps the only way this would ever happen. Yeah, well, at least some more optimistic, promising news, and they're clearly trying to figure out a way to finish this thing, even if it would be in, you know, I think we're looking at July, right, by the time that something would be able to happen. But this is, they've talked about having a World Cup style where they could quarantine everybody and make it a safe environment. And, you know, given that relationship with Las Vegas that has been strengthened greatly, all 30 teams are playing in that summer league now. And there's a familiarity uh, with with the place and there are the venues where you could stage it. Maybe, just maybe, um, they would be able to pull it off and we could have a conclusion to the 2019-20 season. If you're, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing though. It, for the players, the incentive here is that their salaries would get paid out and there would be a, a lessened chance that there would be a significant cap drop right in coming seasons. So, you know, uh, I understand that there might be, you know, some resistance on the player side. Like, why would I, why, why finish the season? You know, like they they might say, why finish the season and risk us coming back in a rush year, potential of getting hurt. Why sp- take this time away from the family? Why don't we just, you know, end the season? I can see the logic and some players want to say that. However, I think it's probably for the the greater good uh, of the entire league and the in the future pl- of the players coming into the league that you have some type of resolution with the games in the regular season and with some type of tournament in the in the playoffs. And as we've hit before, there is a possibility that whatever the league does, whether it's like a three game playoff, you know, in the first round and second round, go go to five in the conference finals and then go to seven in the finals. Maybe that format works maybe people love that maybe these traditional nba fans are into that maybe if there's a one game playoff plan to get into the the playoffs themselves people really dig that too and maybe that becomes something that you're more willing to try in the future so i think for the league not only would it be good for financial reasons not only would it be good for social reasons but also for the league itself moving forward it's an opportunity to experiment and I, i really really hope we get to see that Absolutely. And obviously the experimentation in the all-star game went over like gangbusters. Everybody loved that. Yes. And if there was if there was ever a time to experiment, this would be the time. It's not gonna it's not gonna be like we're all gonna look back on this as a season that was radically different than every other season anyway. Sure. And think about the Elam ending in the All-Star game. When that was first announced, people were like, huh? What? I don't get this. This is silly. But the game was pretty good last year. Like, baby, let's just do that. And then the game happens and people saw the results of how exciting Elam ending can be. And even then, because the game ended on a free throw, <laughs> that was probably like the least exciting way an Elam ending game can actually result. There are still far more exciting games with the Elam ending that can be seen with the basketball tournament in the past couple summers. And the idea of these shortened series, a one-game playoff to get into the playoffs, or you know, a three-game ra- three-game round in the first round, that may not sound appealing to a fan that is so used to watching you know seven-game series for many years or previously five games in the first round. But if you we actually see it happen, and it makes for exciting basketball, if like the Grizzlies go to five games with the Lakers in the first round or something like that. 
that would be really dope, man. And, and I, I think it's something that people would love. And I get excited at the mere thought of the league getting an opportunity to experiment here. Well, I mean, we used to have best three out of five, but they didn't yeah, want, man. you know, they wanted the best teams advancing, right? That people did not like eight beating one and then moving on to the next round. Um, they wanted to ensure that the best team would win the series or the best matchup uh, would win the series. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, look, the, 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 the greater the stakes of every single game, the more fun it is. There's no way yes. around that, right? Like it just, that's the way it is. The greater the stakes. And, and in, in that particular all-star game, what we saw was the greater the stakes, even when it came down to possessions, right? It makes Absolutely. it more exciting. And so if you lose one game, if you lose game one of a, a series where you got to win three, it is so much different than if you lose one game of a series where you've got to win four. To your point about how in the past they went from five to seven to better assure that the best team moved on. Um, if the league in the future, who knows how many years from now, but if in the future they had a midseason tournament, and if that midseason tournament, let's just say, was a one-game playoff, you know, with all 30 teams or something like that, and the top two seeds get buys. And that let's say that let's say that tournament became something that fans and players and teams actually celebrated. If that if that became something meaningful, the midseason tournament. I think if that were in place, then in the NBA finals postseason, you know, end of the year like we currently have, I think at that point, then maybe because you had that mid-year tournament, you could have those shorter series in the earlier rounds because even though it's still incredibly important, it's the finals. That's what everybody wants to win. That's still the ultimate goal. I think if you still have other ways to reward teams and reward fans, you could have a shortened series there and and feel a little bit better if if you have an upset like a seven over a two or an eight over a one, because like let's say this year the Lakers could have won the midseason tournament, but then they could have happened to get upset in the first round of the, that postseason. Something uh, something like that to me. If you have more more reward, maybe you're a bit more willing to have uh, more upsets early in the early rounds of the actual postseason itself. All right. Well, for today's show, for those of you that have been keeping up with uh, the Book of Basketball pods and what Simmons has been doing, they've been going back and they have been redrafting different drafts. And one of the things that you can gain from listening to these redrafts is seeing where people messed up um, and seeing where people got it right, uh, general manager wise, uh, when it was time to make those picks. And Kevin and I have been keeping up with the draft for a long time. I think my first draft was like 2000 or something like that. And so I had a lot to go back on. It's like 20 years of looking back on guys that I liked and guys that I didn't like and guys I would have really swung and missed on and guys that I really liked that turned out to be great picks for uh, franchises. Now, that being said, I was happy that I clearly have learned from mistakes on a lot of these things because I go back and read some of the stuff that I wrote um, or see some of the predictions that I made because it. I think it's been a long time since I've had somebody that I thought was going to be really awesome and then was just a dud in the NBA, right? Like, that's not my misses. My misses, at least in, in recent times, 
have been, I didn't like somebody as much as I should have, right? Like somebody that I thought was going to be good, but I didn't like him as much as I should have. Um, but in terms of, and, and then like the misses are like, you know, like the guys that I thought could be good or rotation guys that are misses, you would say. I mean, those are like late first, second round picks. I mean, you're throwing darts half the time in those anyway. Um, but because it's been, I mean, I was going back and I mean, I had to go back all the way back to like, um, I saw that kid that played for Arizona, Derek Williams. I saw him in person. And Derek Williams had a career. Is he still in the league? I don't think he's in the league anymore. No. And he was nope. okay, right? But I thought Derek Williams was going to be good. I, mean, I thought he was going to be good. And he wasn't. He wasn't. He, he's clearly not worth the pick, right, that they used on that. And when he got swapped for Darren Williams or whatnot. Um, and there are other guys. He's actually playing in, or was playing in Turkey this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and, then the, and then I threw out the guys that are like super recent, right, the last couple of years. Because I'm gonna, uh, I'll give you a couple stories from yesteryear of guys that you like proof that you gotta wait it out to see what they end up becoming. So I don't think it's fair to judge guys that are like the last few years um, necessarily. In some cases, for sure, we can already see mistakes that were made, um, but the book is clearly nowhere close to written on some guys. So I ended up writing down a bunch of names um, on hits and misses, some of which are going to be, I I wonder if like some of the names, uh, have you ever heard of the name Damian James? It is totally, it is totally reasonable if you have Damian James. No, I don't recall that name. He's a kid. He's a kid that played at Texas. He was drafted in the first round. And that year, the Grizzlies had the 12th pick overall. And I saw the kid work out. I mean, he was like a huge Big 12 player. Um, he was a great, great high school player. And it just didn't take. He just didn't even have an NBA career. And was right, way wrong about it. But that will lead into, I am going to make you feel better, Kev, right off the bat. Please. Thank you, Chris. I like to feel good. Okay. Because there is no <laughs> way, there is no way you can defeat this. That year, the Grizzlies had the 12th pick. I went to all of the workouts. They ended up taking Xavier Henry, who I hated. So I was right about that, at least. <laughs> but I wanted, I would have taken Damian James from Texas. But how about this one? You ready for this? This is what I wrote at the time. This is, God, it's 10 years ago now. Are you quoting yourself here? Like This is yes. written, I, written yes. word. This written is, word. Okay. This is what I wrote, which... I should have deleted years ago, but I am going to, <laughs> for the purposes of my own humiliation, I will, uh, I'll read this. Paul George has gotten a ton of hype. <laughs> He's good. <laughs> You're going to love this. He's going to be the steal of the draft. He could be the best player in the draft. He's the guy that's flying under the radar. I've heard it all about Paul George. So I had to go see him in his workout with the Grizzlies on Tuesday. Going into the workout, I must say I was hoping to see a guy that I would want the Grizzlies to take at 12 if he's available. I just don't think it's there with this kid, to be honest. (laughs) If it was there, he'd be going top five. There's a possibility I could have pegged this kid wrong, but I can't stand guys with motor problems. They disgust me. I think you lose with guys like Paul George because when push comes to shove, they'll cave. 
I don't want anybody that's not going to give max effort. Everybody can wait for the light to come on. I'll pass. I detest the fact that he was on a losing team, which is virtually impossible in a crap conference if you're a lottery guy. And the fact that he was not even first team all whack. Get get real. I'd bank on the potential that everybody loves going unfulfilled. I have no time for lazy. <laughs> oh my god. That's about as bad as it gets. I have no time for lazy. That's about as bad as it gets. I did see him and he just got walloped in every drill. And you know what? Wow. There's a thing. And this is what I this is one of the lessons I had to learn. That when you could go to those there were so many guys over the years that absolutely tanked workouts when they came to work out here. Because when you are a loser and you lose every year, they don't want to get drafted by you. There's a slew of guys that never even came to work out. You know, and obviously this goes into a whole nother discussion, but it's one of the reasons that I am so anti losing on purpose because these agents will try to direct it so that you won't take their guy. And sometimes their guy comes in and just absolutely tanks a workout completely. You know, one famously years ago, Hubie Brown started screaming at Dwayne Wade because Dwayne Wade just wasn't even playing. He wasn't even trying. I saw, I saw Harden do it. I saw George do it. And, you know, and in retrospect, it's like, okay, I drew something from those workouts where these guys were tanking the workout so that they wouldn't get drafted by a team. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm sitting there watching it being like, this guy, get out of here. But in retrospect, he don't want to he don't want to get drafted here. So he's going he's he's half assing it. Right? Whereas guys like Damian James, they're projected to go low. Of course they're winning every drill and playing like with a massive chip on their shoulder. Cause they ain't gonna get drafted there. Or guys that like might not go in the first round and you see them go harder than hell. You know, I I had to learn. Like Steph Curry that year, he, his dad and them, they, they didn't even come work out. Grizzlies had the second pick in the draft, Kevin. He didn't even come and work out. He didn't want to get drafted, you know, by Memphis. And there was a bunch of guys that were like that over the years. But I learned my lesson, right, on, on Paul George. In fairness, he has caved when push came to shove in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, God. You're, yes. not You're not a fan of playoff, P? He has. I mean, good grief. I had to watch two years ago Joe Ingles emasculate him on national TV. So anyways, yeah, Paul Joe George Ingles, is, Joe Ingles, who looks like an NBA player, by yeah, the way. Paul George, one of my <laughs> one of my worst for sure. Can you even come close to that? Um I don't so of the misses that I have, I don't have one that fits that exact criteria. No. But you mean I like a guy think, that could be a Hall of Famer? <laughs> uh, not, not that I saw from scanning my, my draft guides uh, the past couple of years. I, I, the first year I did a draft guide was 2014. And the year before that, I did have a top 50. Uh, went my first year for Celticsblog.com way back in the day. Um, so all of my guys that I'm choosing are since 2013. Anybody before that, I never really had definitive rankings. I would just... Sort That's of have right. a list, you know, and all those files are gone somewhere. Um, who knows? But so to start off, I, I guess I'll go with a guy I definitely missed on, though, just to stick with guys that we we swung and missed at. Kyle Kuzma. In 2017, I had him ranked 46th. Incredibly low. 
behind you hated him behind Sundarius Thornwell. Tyler oh, I liked, Dorsey. I, I like Thornwell. Matisse Lasort. <laughs> I mean, I had Kuzma low. And Kuzma, of course, today is a very polarizing player. Some people love him. Some people hate him. And it's undeniable, though, that I had him too low. And that's because I think I leaned on his weaknesses too much. I looked at him at, at 22 years old coming in as a rookie. I looked at him and thought to myself, well, this guy has never proven that he can become a consistent defender. He has never shown that he has a consistent jump shot. What I underrated was the fact that he is a guy who at six foot nine, six foot ten, can handle the ball and can do other things on the court despite his weaknesses. He can still be a spark plug scorer. I think I sort of put him into a box as a guy who wouldn't get an opportunity because of his weaknesses, when in reality, it's his strengths that has given him opportunity and that has given him value on a really good team last year and this year with the Lakers. And look, he still is a weak defender, but he has still shown in in certain minutes that he can be versatile. He still is an iffy decision maker. That has not changed. He still has his weaknesses. And in that sense, the evaluation is sound. But the ranking was too low because I think I, I, I look back at that and I was too hard on his weaknesses instead of focusing on his strengths as a player. And I think his age as well entered the equation too much for me. That's one of the big lessons that I look back on with some of my best hits and some of my my worst misses. Age, it matters. You know, drafting an 18, 19 year old. Obviously, those are the guys that have the highest upside. But everybody's development is on a different trajectory. And oftentimes that 21, 22-year-old can come into the league and make an instant impact and still have room to grow. And that's where we've talked about with a guy like Brandon Clark in Memphis coming in older, but still has more upside. That was the case with Kuzma, his year in the draft. That he came in, he had his weaknesses, he's gotten better, his strengths have gotten better, and he still has more room to improve despite the fact he was an older prospect. I, I love this because you're feeding right into my next one without even knowing um, because this is the argument that I made over and over again for, I would say, I would say my biggest hit. So in 2012, and it, it, this has come up before and people have been like, oh yeah, nobody saw it coming with uh, Draymond Green and I will throw people a link because I wrote with the 25th pick, the Grizzlies should select Draymond Green. It's the, official, it's the official endorsement of the Chris Vernon show. There is absolutely no way there'll be 24 players better than this kid. He dribbles and passes like a guard and rebounds like a big. He shot the cover off the ball in his workout here. He fits the culture. Lionel Hollins would play him. I know what I get with him. A good rotation player for years that'll uh, play hard every single night. Give me that guy. Draymond is my yeah he's my best one and it was and that was my argument because I remember it's it's funny um they took Tony Roten 19 year old point guard out of Washington and I the argument was you know like oh Draymond's like whatever he was 22 right 22 23 years old and it's like yeah but what is this guy gonna look like when he's 22 or 23 and I kept repeating like he's not gonna be as good as this guy right like I mean the answer for people like that's what GMs used to always say right that it's a projection thing and so you take this the young guy always gets the advantage because okay yeah he's only 19 but imagine what he could look like when he's 22 
And in many cases, the answer is not as good as the awesome 22-year-old that you're passing up, right? And Draymond would be easily the biggest hit, for sure. I mean, I, I loved him um, when I saw him. And I thought, like, there's not a coach on the planet that won't play him outside of Mark Jackson, I guess. <laughs> thank God, <laughs> thank God, David, thank God, David Lee got hurt, right? Um, yeah. But, anyways, uh, Draymond was. I mean, f- so for for George, I at least had Draymond. Um, when I went back and looked, I would say George. George was the biggest one that I I saw him. I would not have wanted him, and he turned out to be awesome. Draymond is the one that I saw that I thought he was awesome, and he got drafted obviously entirely too low. For my hits, I'm going to have a guy that I had ranked maybe slightly higher compared to the consensus, and then one guy that I ranked way lower compared to consensus, both of which were hits. Um, let's go on. Let's go with a hit first, Chris. Yeah. You just named one of yours. I'm just going to read what I wrote in 2017. So this prospect was drafted in 2017, a high draft pick, not a steal like one of yours right there. Go-to scoring is the hardest skill to find in the NBA. I'm talking about players you feed the ball to in an emergency situation toward the end of the clock. Players you lean on in the fourth quarter when the defense is locked in and the game is muddied in the half court. These are irreplaceable talents found on every championship team in league history. Nothing matters more than scoring, but sometimes there's more focus on what Jason Tatum can't do than what he does at arguably the highest level of any player in this draft class. So Tatum is Ah. one of the guys that I look back at and I am happiest with my evaluation and ranking of him. I had him second behind Markel Fultz, which was a mistake. (laughs) It was everybody's mistake, but not mine. Tatum in a lot of places was ranked like 10th or 11th, um, which was just way, way, way too low. And I think with Tatum, so much of the focus on him at the time was what he didn't do in his single year at Duke. I wrote the feature story on him this year on the ringer and it can't sort of came back up in conversations about the t- conversation about how at the time his defense wasn't at the level it should have been, but that was due to a foot injury that really knocked him off athletically early in the season. The fact that he wasn't shooting threes on the off the dribble as much as he was shooting twos. Well, that's because he was set, he was still extending his range every single year. His range was always getting deeper. And now we see it all manifesting for him this current season with the Celtics. There was talk about his passing ability. I thought at the time that was a little bit overblown. If you look at my scouting report, he did make some nice passes. Just he had a score first mindset and he has gotten a lot better there in the NBA. So Tatum, I think to me, when you're looking for guys that can be the face of your franchise guys who can really take you from good to great. It's still those players who can be great scorers. It's still those guys like a Jason Tatum. And that has made me think about this year's draft class when there's not a lot of guys like that, right? There's some, there's some that you might want to swing at and take a chance on and Anthony Edwards, a Killian Hayes, these guys who show scoring talent, but it's not all there. Those are still the guy, even LaMelo Ball, for that matter. You can look at his horrific shooting percentages, but he can generate space. And that's still the skill that can set guys apart. It's just, a, it's just about, are you going to take a swing on that, like I preferred to with Tatum in that year, or are you going to go with the more safer option who 
fits into a team but doesn't have that upside. It's more philosophical than anything else when it comes to rankings. I'm just glad in that year I was I, I ranked Tatum as high as I did. Uh, you know what? I actually had when I was going through this exercise, I had names written down, and this is gonna be this is funny. So the one I had written down from that draft, which I count as a win, a hit, is Fox. Of okay, the three good. point of the three point guards, I I liked him the most. And that includes Lonzo and Fultz, right? And and part of that was watching him throughout the season. I know a bunch of people in Kentucky, they absolutely loved the kid, loved him. And I heard what a great kid he was and how smart he was and uh, like all the stuff you want to hear about him as a kid, as a guy. And then I was in the arena when he dropped 39 on Lonzo's head in the NCAA tournament. And I walked out of that arena and I'm like, how, how could you be sitting there and take Lonzo over him? How? And by the way, Magic Johnson was on the front row. And I remember saying to my buddy, like, what is that conversation walking out to the car? Because, I mean, he was, Lonzo was going like to the Lakers if he was, if he was there, right? If he was on the board, if he, if he didn't go number one. And most people had Fultz going number one. But I liked Fox more than those two. I think you'd call. Yeah, I mean, like those are the that, that that's one. Um, it, it, it's on that note with this year's draft class. I think back to 2017, and look, I had Fultz number one, and I really like Fultz as a prospect. There's, but at the time, there was something in my gut that told me Tatum was the number one prospect, and and I look back at that at the time, and I'm like, I think I had a little bit of fear because of the group think, because of you know how it was really a consensus across the board in the league that Fultz is the number one player in the draft. I think there's a little bit of almost fear inside of me. And, and I've removed that since then. I don't care what anybody else has his rankings. I don't care what NBA teams have these guys ranked as either for that matter. Um, they're wrong. They're wrong just as much as we are. Just the facts. NBA teams are wrong just as much as the guy on Real GM that's been posting for 10 to 15 years. It's just the, the truth. Yeah, you can look at their track record. It's just the facts, and so I look at I look now at this year's draft class when there is no clear number one pick, and I my rankings whenever we put them out there, um, I think they're going to end up being drastically different than any of the other websites. I out love there right it. Now. I love yeah, cause, it because because I, I don't really I don't look man like especially this year. There's not that guy. There's not that guy, and I think. If anybody's ranking players, you shouldn't worry about what other people have. Just trust your own your own evaluation of these guys and take in information from others. That's important. It's important to take in information and take in other opinions, but you can't necessarily let that affect how you're ranking a guy. Oh no, the the you know? group thing has it's been a killer for. I mean, look, because you're because here's the thing, and this is how people think that it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters because what the consensus becomes, what the mock drafts say, your owner reads those, right? And so if you want to be bold and you want to go off the grid and you have a conviction, you have to be right. And it, because if you take the guy that everybody should say is a top five pick and he's not, well, it's like, you did what everybody else is going to do. You were wrong, but you're also not going to get fired over that. Maybe, probably, right? Well, and that's what happened in 2010. I believe this has been reported. I don't think I'm breaking anything here, but with the Minnesota Timberwolves with the fourth pick, there was some noise that they wanted Paul George, but ownership 
didn't want to take that risk, so they ended up taking Wesley Johnson with the fourth right. pick, who was right. the more con- the consensus high, you know, better prospect, all that. But there were a lot of people within the organization who wanted Paul George. Oh, it happens all the time. It yep. happens all the time where because it, it, your your owner gets involved in the draft. There's a lot of things that your owner doesn't get involved in. Your owner usually is involved in the draft or has a say, right? And if he's talked to people and he has a conviction about somebody, then many times it's just a lot easier to say, okay, we'll go with that. And that's how you can make, you know, grave errors in judgment, right? Just like how there's, and these have not been confirmed. I've never confirmed confirmed it. I believe it to be true, but there's been the reports that Sam Hinkie with the Sixers wanted to take Kristaps Porzingis instead of Jaleel Okafor, but ownership made the push for the safer pick in Okafor. I don't know if that's true. I believe it to be true. Um, But even something like that, there's so many mistakes that are made over the years because of ownerships, ownership pushing basketball operations to make a decision that they they really um, shouldn't be making. Oh, for certain. It happened. Look, I, 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 w- I witnessed it twice. Once, Hashim Thabit. Absolutely. I mean, my, Michael Michael Heisley. What, what, year, what year was that? O- God rest o- his soul. That's been 09. 09, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael Heisley. God rest oh, his soul. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I love, I love. The, 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 top, the top seven that year. Buddy. buddy. Blake Griffin. <laughs> Hashim Thabit. James Harden. Tyreek Evans. Ricky Rubio. Johnny Flynn. Steph Curry. That was the top seven that year. Well, I'll tell you this. Wow. Uh, so wow. Michael Heisley, God rest his soul, he had he got the okay from from Jerry West and other guys like that. Like he was still he didn't he was still talking to guys like Jerry, guys that you know Dick Versace, all these guys that had worked for the team before, you know. And so if he goes in and he says, "Look, they're all they say we should take the kid from UConn, right? We should take the kid from whatever." I mean, you think Chris Wallace or any of them are going to stand up to him? Hell no, right? Because if you're wrong about who you take to, then you're dead. But if yeah. you, right? Like, and so, and, and the, the other one, and this is absolutely so, was the year they had, uh, the year before that, they had the fifth pick and they took Kevin Love, who I, I mean, oh, I ran. And, and then the trade happened for well, OJ why, Mayo, right? And, and why did that happen? Because Heisley is a Chicago guy. And Heisley was living there, and OJ was working out all summer with Tim Grover, the old you know Jordan guy. Oh yeah, yeah. And Heisley went over and watched him, and so Heisley wanted OJ Mayo, and so they figured out a way to make that happen. They swung that deal on on draft night when he got taken third and Love got taken five. So they made that in, deal in, in an alternate with Minnesota. universe. In an alternate yep. universe, you guys take Kevin Love and then you take James Harden. <laughs> oh my God. You, I mean, you have no idea. But is yeah, that, no, is, that's just, is that that's one just, reason why you don't like James Harden because the Grizzlies didn't take him? No, no. no I, in no. fact, you know what's funny? Not, not even a part of it. Not even like just a, oh, no. a, a pebble. No, uh, no, no, no. I don't, okay. no, I don't like watching a guy hunt for fouls and go to the free throw line all night. Um, but I also, I would say that that particular <laughs> draft, you got to remember, Tyreek Evans had just played a whole season in Memphis. I mean, he had just played here. So, and and Steph Curry had just lit the world on fire at Davidson. I saw there's one guy on there that you could count as one of my misses. I absolutely liked the other uh, Minnesota guy, and I'm talking about the, the beat year, Johnny Flynn. 
I saw oh, him yeah. in the I saw him live in the NCAA tournament. I don't think he's necessarily a fair one. He made the all rookie team and he was in the worst situation ever. They drafted Rubio too. He's playing in the friggin' triangle for Kurt Rambis. And then he had a life altering. I mean, you can go read articles on him, a life altering hip injury that just destroyed his career completely. He was never he was never the same ever after he had this horrible hip injury after his rookie year. I still I mean, think Johnny his, his Flynn. Rookie, his rookie numbers were not bad. No, no, no. Johnny <laughs> Flynn really still could have been. Johnny Flynn still could have been a good player. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash ringer NBA. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter stands thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, all our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, I am going to, you're going to love this so much. I'll give you my other big miss, all right? And the reason you're going to love this so much is because I would call this guy a friend now. A friend. Yes. Hmm. And it is one Mike Conley. Wow. I I wanted Joakim Noah, which in retrospect is not terrible. No, not bad. But I resented the hell out of that. And then you've got to remember, all those years following, you're talking about all those great perimeter players, right? Whether you're talking about Harden. You're talking about Curry. You're talking about Tyreek. You're talking about whoever. You can go through the list, right? And I resented it so much because it was like, (laughs) they're going to, they they keep on doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on this kid. And, you know, we're five years into his career and he's 12.7 points, 6.5 assists, shooting 43% from the field. And I'm like, they pass on great players every year. Because he will not lose his job no matter what. They drafted him when he was very young. They believe in him, and they stood by this thing over and over again. They got rid of Kyle Lowry. They got him the hell out of town, you know, as to not have any competition for him. And they wouldn't draft anybody that could even play point guard. They brought in a thousand horrible ones over the years as to never create a competition for him, and I resented it so much. I mean, I was ready. I, I would have traded him for anything. I just and, and then they gave him the second contract, and I'm like, oh my god. And yeah, that's one of those where it's like you stick with it and the development. Because by 2013-14 season, he's shooting 45 percent from the field, 36 percent from three, 17 17.6 assists a game, a couple of steals. He's making a second team All Defense team. And he's leading a team, you know, to the, you know, game sevens of Western semis and, and the Western Conference finals. It just, you know, it just took forever. You know what I mean? And so for, you know, for so long, 
I'll always, you know, that 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 makes you gun shy on making your predictions on what a guy is going to be or what his destiny is. In the end, the people that believed in him and what he was going to become were right. It just took so long. And interestingly enough, it also took that long with Kyle. Right? Kyle Lowry didn't make an all-star team until way later in his career. One of my hits is I had Victor Oladipo ranked first in 2013, but it's oh, also a good. miss because after four years, I gave up on him. Right. <laughs> right. You yeah. Know? No, yeah. you, you got you to gotta stick with the guys sometimes. Oh, and, God. You know, I mean, there's but, so many that, I, I mean, th- when we were going through this exercise, Kevin, how about this one? I wrote down a name. This is from like 06. Uh, I wrote down PJ Tucker. I loved PJ Tucker. And he got drafted. He was out of the league in one year. And, of course, <laughs> I mean, I was like, and he showed back up six years later in Phoenix. I mean, anybody can go look this up. Like, P.J. Tucker was gone for like five or six years. And then he showed back up at the NBA. And it's funny, my buddy Chris Harrington, who has covered the NBA for years here at Memphis, he said, I remember you loving P.J. Tucker. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Well, I, I haven't known where he was for six years. That's not, I can't really take, I'm not going to take credit for P.J. Tucker becoming an NBA player when you had to have him go overseas for six years and then show back up, you know? And uh, and now you look at P.J. Tucker with the way I the know. game has changed. He is a a player these six foot six, six foot seven, strong bodied wings <laughs> should aspire to be like. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> you hilarious. Know, his mentality and the way he can defend bigger players. That's what you want in today's league is, is a PJ Tucker. And that sort of goes right to my next guy. And this is somebody that sort of falls into the category we were just touching on where you can't necessarily give up on a guy, but also I feel confident that this is a hit for me. And that's Julius Randle. I had him ranked 17th in 2014, and he went seventh to the Lakers that year. And um, I was the reason why I was so low on him was his defense. I, I wrote an art article at the time called The Randle Problem, analyzing Julius Randle's weaknesses on defense. As I said, I had him ranked 17th in my draft guide that year. I was not a Julius Randle fan, just as I am not a Julius Randle fan today. And that's because he's one of the worst defensive big men in basketball. He just doesn't know how to focus off ball. He doesn't know where to be playing pick and roll. He's always in the wrong position. So are you counting this uh, as a uh, miss? Because uh, you're just shitting no, no, on this guy. <laughs> no, this is, no, I'm saying it's a hit. I had him low oh. and lower the consensus. But I'm sort of hedging here in the sense that I'm saying he still is only 25 years old. And he still is a guy that did score 20 points per game this season with the Knicks and last year with the Pelicans. He still is a great rebounder. He still is a guy who can handle the ball a bit as a big man. The problem is defense. It is still defense. And that is what's holding him back. He is one of the, of if you look at the guys making over 15, $16 million in the league, he's probably the one of the worst of them making high money in the NBA. But the fact is, is that there is still a chance that he figures it out on defense and becomes at least average on that end. And then my 17th ranking will end up looking silly. Well, if, well it, no, there's still a chance. Hold on. Your 17th ranking looks silly anyway. No, it doesn't. Do a 2014 redraft. You think there's 16? You're, you're 16. Yeah, there is. If you, if you go through the 2014 NBA draft, Randall ends up like 14 to 17, 14 to 18, something like that. If you're doing a 2014 redraft. 
I deny that. I don't know. I'd have to go back and do it. But here's what I know. Uh, I'm I'm pulling out one. This here's is the first. I, th- I'm pulling one out. This is the first one that came up on Google. Here's from, what I know. From, okay, you go and then I'll then I'm no. He has been on names. He has been on all bad teams except that one's Pelicans team. I mean, he played for the yeah, sorry look, Lakers who were losing sixty games, and he played for the sorry Knicks who were losing sixty games. And again, so put him in a good situation. And I think you'll see a different guy. Uh, again, again, to your point. Right now, I think it's a hit for me. It can end up being a miss, and 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 and. And that's one of the point. The only point is what I'm saying is, is that it's still early in these guys' careers. Oh, for sure. For some like, of them. Look, you, know? you know who I think he could end up like? Is, and he's a mini version, is a guy that obviously I fell in love with in Zach Randolph. It was years down the road. But, man, now, he has not had the, the off the court, he has not had the off court problems. But no, he played for the Knicks. He played for the Clippers. And it was like, yeah, he puts up numbers, but he stinks on defense and he's not this right like i mean i could see that happening if you ever got randall in a real winning situation that the whole opinion of him changes dramatically and that happened for randall what at 28 29 years old something randolph like that, yeah yeah with, yeah right with memphis yeah yes and, and and those weren't even his prime scoring years right he, he was more of a, a secondary player than a primary player Oh no he, he was on all bad teams and you know he's looked at as a reason they are bad right and i do think that in the case of randall he spent the majority of his career in undesirable situations. So I'm just going to throw out some 2014 players that I would redraft ahead of Randall, just, just for the exercise here. And this is not in any order. I pulled up a, a, a different list. Um, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, Clint Capella, TJ Warren, Spencer Dinwiddie, Aaron Gordon, Yusuf Nurkic, Marcus Smart, Dario Saric, Gary Harris, Bogdan oh, Bogdanovich, Joe Harris. Aaron Gordon and Dario Saric? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Gordon is Did you fall off the planet? The I know you still love Aaron Gordon, but he's been he's st- dreadful. Aaron, his defense is not dreadful. Last year, you look at his defense and superstar matchups, he's, he can defend at an elite level against oh. multiple positions. He did a great job against James Harden, did a great job against even KD last year, did a great job against Kawhi Leonard to the extent you can in the postseason for Orlando. Aaron Gordon is a stellar defensive player. He's not better than Julius Randle uh, as, a, as a player. Yeah, yeah. If you lined them both I, up I, I on would, a... I would, I would take Gordon ahead of Randle 100 out of 100 times, that, regardless well, we, of the team that I'm building. You and I you and I break ways there, that's for sure. And Dario Saric, the guy's been in witness protection. He couldn't Point even start eight. for the Suns. Okay. All right, so do you disagree on Joe Harris? How about Jeremy Grant, Dwight Powell? I can keep yeah, going. Yeah, Julius Randle's better than all these guys that you're talking about. Really? Except for Julius the very Randall's top. Better, Julius Randle is better than Joe Harris. I mean, I, I don't think that there's some kind of massive difference between those two guys. Like in terms of, big, certainly, I think there's a pretty big difference. I mean, Julius Joe Randall, ha- Joe, Joe Harris, who is a dynamic shooting weapon, who is a smart decision maker on the court and a competent defender at the wing position. I would much rather have that guy who's just a total zero on the defensive end and can't space the floor on offense and that makes poor decisions on offense. I Give mean, me that guy. And same with Bogdanovich. Same with Gary Harris, who is struggling this year. Julius same Randall Jeremy Gr- 21 and 21 and nine last year and 20 and 10 this year. How about Jeremy Grant? I mean, he's just a guy. He's a guy. 
No, no, he's not. He's, he's not. He's not he's the guy a that's super, ever getting me twenty and ten on any a, team ever. Who cares about twenty All and ten? All of a sudden, you're Mister Defense. You've never given a shit about defense in four what? years of us doing this pod. What are you now talking it's about? Their defensive ability of Jeremy Grant. Like, who cares? How have I never cared about defense? I mean, now all of a sudden we're talking about how their defense matters so greatly that it. Mar- Marcus it, Smart is one of my favorite players ever. I care about defense. If you're talking about current guys uh, in 2014 draft, Julius Randle's a lot better than what he has gotten credit for. He's been on rat teams his whole career. And that's not his fault. You know what I mean? This guy's had so, this guy's had some really good years. You go look at his years that he's had. He's just been on bad, bad teams. Free, free Julius Randle. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we'll see. So you don't can, get you don't get to use yeah. that as a hit. That's a miss. That's, it's a hit right it's now. A it's a miss. hit. It's no, a it's hit. Not. It's a hit. And right now, and I'm saying it could end up being a miss if he ever learns how to play defense. And right now, he's one of the worst defensive players in basketball. He's a worse defender than Ennis Cantor, a guy who everybody talks about is one of the worst defenders in basketball. Julius Randle's worse than him. My God, uh, this is uh, beating up Julius Randle in a manner that I never <laughs> suspected. All right, Julius Randle would not go 17 if you did that draft. Yeah, over. he would. No, he way. would go 16 or 17. I, I would. You, you'd still be taking Aaron Gordon in the top five, though. Like you just deny no, I, what has I, taken I, place. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him in the top five, but he would go ahead of Randall. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the rewatchables or the Dave Chang show or the ringer NBA show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, 2 times, and if you're completely insane, 3 times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. Other guys that I had written down over the years uh, for misses, I did like Jimmer Fredette. And I had this moment. You remember when we were talking about going back in eras in the last one? Like, now all of a sudden, speaking of defense, right? Nobody gives a crap. They bring it up every once in a while. But, like, Trey Young doesn't play any defense, right? But he, like, was scoring 30 a game when he's playing at Oklahoma. Like, that's what Jimmer was. And I do wonder if Jimmer exists now if it's looked at totally different. And he actually could have a place in the NBA. But it was like, you know, if you're going to be a traffic cone, for a defender, now you can get on an NBA court. Uh, you know, five, ten years ago, you had no chance of getting on an NBA court, especially early. But I thought Jimmer was going to have an NBA career, and I thought he could be really good. And it was a debacle, for sure. Um, I He was one of my favorite college players to watch ever. 
it was so exciting. And then uh, I had Johnny Flynn's name written down also as one. For the hits, the other names I wrote down, I still get this one brought up to me this day. In 2010, I was ha- uh, I had my uh, my son uh, was born, and I was up every night, as it were, with a baby, and I fell in love with a team that I was watching at like midnight regularly, which was St. Mary's, and they had this guy Omar Samhan was their you know big center or whatever, but they had a freshman point guard who I absolutely loved. And uh, I was talking up all the time. And that team ended up making the Elite Eight. And it was, it's always going to be a special team to me because, you know, it's just a moment in time where I'm having, I had my first kid. I'm up every night. I fall in love with this college basketball team that I'm watching all the time. You know who it was? It was Della Vadova. Wow. I loved him. And he, got un- he was undrafted. Undrafted. And he's still got an NBA career going. So I'm counting that as a hit. And then one that I, I, I'll be mad about till the day I die is Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon was an ACC Player of the Year and the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And the Grizzlies' assistant general manager, John Hollinger, was a Virginia graduate. And we took Rade Zogorak, the pick before Malcolm Brogdon. And I went to the gym and I watched Rade Zagorak in like a summer league training camp. And I was like, oh my God. Like, this is not an NBA player. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I told the second I walked in the gym, I watched him do three drills. And I'm like, this guy has no, he ain't got the feet for, he's not athletic. He's slower than hell. They're just going to put him in every pick and roll forever. And he went to summer league. And guess what? They put him in every single pick and roll. I don't even. I don't think he ever played an NBA minute. The kid. This is this is my uh, this is my write up for him in my 2016 draft guide. Zagorak is an extremely competitive team first player that his role that has role player potential. His shot is inconsistent and his handle must improve, but the tools are there for him to be a solid stretch forward. He'll need to get a. He'll need to get stronger and improve laterally in the defensive end. And the scouting notes go far more in depth than that. But I liked him as like a shot in the dark in the second round. But I loved Brogdon that year. I had Brogdon ranked 22nd in 2016. I thought he was for sure going to be a really good player. So I, I don't dislike the pick on Zagorak. There was a chance he ended up a good player. But considering some of the other guys on the board, that was obviously a mistake, to your point. All right. Those are the, those are the majority of the names that I wrote down. Obviously, a lot of them are more recent names and stuff. It's been a long time, though, since, like, Somebody's gotten drafted really high that I thought was going to be super awesome and just flamed out, you know? Yeah, I got, I got a couple of those. Okay. Dragon Bender. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this is where I'm going to beat myself up. I got some misses on the international side. Uh, Dragon Bender, I ranked him third in 2016. Uh, Mario Hazonia had him ranked fourth in 2015. And then here's, here's a little bit of a deeper cut. Timothy Luau. I had him ranked ninth in 2016. Too high. Hey, for, you know, Kev, though, to you, that's totally fair. To your point uh, about not paying attention to the mocks, I did this about eh, maybe two years ago. I went back and looked at everything that was written about that draft, and the argument all out of Boston was about Chris Dunn and about Dragon Bender. Oh, and about, oh that, yeah, and, yeah. I got, and I got a good story about that. On the mocks, nobody. I went back and looked. I think the highest on any mock 
that Jalen Brown was was like eight or nine on any for, mock. The, for, for the Boston media. No, no, like any, no, any, no, any national. And it wasn't until like, you know, like later that day, like I think Jeff Goodman at Fox had moved him up. But Goodman's like big buddies with uh, with Ainge. He's known him forever. So, I mean, he had a he had a beat on that. Right. When he when he did that. But if you go back and look at all the mocks, because I pulled them up just as an exercise, not one mock had the Celtics taking Jalen Brown. None of them. And and Chris Dunn and Dragon Bender and who else was there? There were like all of them were ahead of no all of them were ahead of Jalen Brown. That was like a real anti mock pick. Like I don't care what everybody else says. I'm taking this Jalen Brown kid at three. Nobody had him that you, high. You know who you, you know who else had Jalen Brown going to the Celtics that year? Me. I did. did wink wink. <laughs> wait, you had him ahead of Bender? No, not not in my big board, but on my my mock drafts. You mentioned mocks. So oh. I, I, I I had Jalen going to the Celtics. And my story about that is that that year I was doing TV in Boston and Celtics fans booed the pick. They booed. When Jalen Brown got selected, everybody wanted Chris Dunn or they wanted the pick to be traded for Jimmy Butler. Understandable, you'd want to trade for Butler, but everybody wanted Chris Dunn, the more local kid out of Providence, not the raw shooter with Jalen Brown. And then I think it was that night or the next night I went on TV and the argument was like, why would the Celtics draft a guy that can't shoot? Why would they draft this guy when they already have, you know, Jay Crowder and these other wings and forwards? And it was really amazing feeling like the only person who was like, this is a pretty good pick. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I remember, I think I wrote something at the time, like if you love Jay Crowder, you're going to definitely love Jalen Brown because he's at least going to be that good of a player. <laughs> well, you know you what know? else hurt him is because uh, I, the, the, he did this last year. Like uh, Kevin Pelton used to do the like the draft raider, like oh, the, the analytics the an- thing. The analytics, oh geez, yeah. and it, like Jalen Brown was like analytics hated him. It, he was like five thousandth. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like he mm. wasn't even he wasn't even on the grid. The analytics like predicted that Jalen Brown was going like should be like undrafted. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I Looking it up because I've talked to Kevin about it before. Like, you know, what are the lessons of something like that? Because it's like you have these predictive, you know, again, nothing is perfect, but you have this, you know, formula that you can stick in. You can say, okay, here's what translates. Here's what doesn't. These are great predictors of future NBA success. He didn't have any of it. None of it. Like none of the predictors of NBA success were were there if you looked at the numbers. And that's fascinating to me considering Boston was, you know, by most accounts, way ahead of the game on the analytics front. And, you know, with Jalen, though, this this touches on what we hit on earlier in the week. Player personality. Player personality is the secret. The brain and doctor. With, sure. You know, may, whoever it may be. No, no, don't they have <laughs> I, one that I, I, was famous, yeah, yeah, right? They, I know they do, but I'm saying like, whoever it may be on your team, but they do have a guy that they call the brain doctor in Boston. Um, He's had some misses as well, but (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) What's his name? Nidnagel? All I I know him is as the brain doctor. (laughs) Yeah. John John Nidnagel is his name. Point is is that who, who a player is as a person 
whatever way you have it, whether it's through interviews like the brain doctor tends to use, or whether it's through personality assessment tests like you see with other companies like Sports Aptitude that do that for teams or players that have their in-house database that they use. I believe the New England Patriots, uh, one, uh, the New England Patriots have a in-house database that they use themselves. Um, I think there might be a couple of NBA teams that do that as well. I'm not sure who specifically, but whatever way it is, figuring out what makes guys tick is the key to success. So with Jalen Brown, the conversation at the time was, well, he has a raw handle. Okay, well, that's something he's improved at significantly in the NBA through his hard work. Inconsistent on defense. Well, how much of that was role and situation on a pretty bad Cal team? In college. Well, now in Boston, a defense first environment, he has become a great defender. And his shot has improved. His shot was underrated at the time, anyway. So it's the work ethic and the mindset that you really need to figure out to understand how much guys are going to make their strengths better and how much guys are going to turn their weaknesses into at least average skills or good skills. And like the numbers of how a player produces on the court at the college level do not touch that at all. And that's that's why for me personally, when it comes to college statistics, college data, I don't put too much into it. First of all, it's a small sample size of 25 to 35 games for these guys. Uh, the situations oftentimes are horrific. So many college teams play with two bigs clogging the lane. They don't play anything like an NBA style. How much zone defense do they go against compared to man defense? There's just all so many variables that diminish its value and importance to me. And that's why for teams, it's about figuring out how those the produ- college production on the court interacts with player personality. It's blending those two together to get the best possible assessment of players. And that's what I'm really always trying to search for uh, with prospects, figure out who these guys are. And teams, that's where they have an edge over anybody else because they have direct contact with players and coaches and assistants and you know guidance counselors at schools. Um, figuring out who they are is the key. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, Bobby Wagner's producer as always, and I'm calling you out, Bobby, because right before we started recording today, oh you said you said you had one as a Sixers guy. It was the Fultz year, and you didn't, and they traded up right to end up getting Fultz. Yeah, but tell us who you you wanted them to keep the pick and take who at three. You know, I'm not even a big Sixers fan, so I will just say that up top, but a lot of my friends are, so I, I follow the team closely and I care about them. I wanted them to go with, and I, I believe I tweeted this and stood by it, so I guess you could say this is my Jeff Green. I wanted them to go with Malik Monk. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look so it. great right now, guys, but come on. He shot the you hell out what? of the ball. Hey, he was really hey, this athletic. Is, this come is on. a great one, though. This is, is a great good, one. Yeah. The story is not written on Monk. That's what I tell you. It's not. I'm with you. I'm with you, Chris. The same way that I, you know, that's why I was telling some of these stories. You know, these are lessons learned over the years that sometimes you're going to look up and five, six years down the road, that's a different guy. If you would have judged a lot of guys on their first four years, if you'd have judged Draymond, if you'd have judged Kawhi, if you'd have judged Mike Conley, if you'd have judged Kyle Lowry, if you'd all kinds of fantastic players, a lot of guys that ended up being all stars. If you judge them on their first four years, you would not have seen it. 
you also got to remember at the time, like everybody kept talking about how the Sixers had no floor spacing and no shooting, and all you could hear about was this dude who came yeah. out of Kentucky who could just I'll chuck. You, I'll tell you something. And had though. a flamethrower. I see him, you know, I see obviously seen him at summer league, and I seen I saw him play for Kentucky in college, and then I see him. I've, he's an Easter Conference team, so I really only see him once a year in person. He is so much smaller than what I thought. What I, I I guess I just envisioned him being like a real shooting guard and shooting guard size. He is smaller than a lot of point guards now. Yeah. He's not tall. Bobby, that, that year in the 2017 draft, I was arguing about how teams should trade down. Before the lottery, I said, whoever wins the number one pick should look to be trading down this year. Teams that win the number three pick, like the Sixers did, should look to trade down. And one of the... After the, the lottery results happened and Philly ended up with three, I, I believe I might have said this on a ringer live stream that they should trade down and take Monk. And <laughs> I, I didn't see I was them probably listening to, to you. one. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he got but, the idea, but, stupid. But, but, but like the guys I really liked that year in that seven to 14 range, I liked Donovan Mitchell a lot. I liked Malik Monk a lot. I like Frank Nilakina a lot. <laughs> you still <laughs> you know, like Frank Nilakina. I still like Frank. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> look, everything you're saying, Chris, think about Frank Nilakina in the same context. Join me. Join me, Chris. No, join me. Join me, please. No, the whole reason, the whole reason you're shitting on Julius Randle is because he's got to play with bums like him. Yeah, well, Julius Randle can't defend. Julius Randle can't defend. I like defense. You're telling me I never oh cared about God. defense. Hey, hey, you're you're the, telling me I never cared defense. about defense oh when God. I love Frank Nilakina. Come on. Let's Kevin be real I'm, now. I don't know where you pulled that out of. Yeah. Can I ask one question? No. I, 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 I have a question. No. I no. want to know. This is for both of you guys. Does this count as a hit? In 2013, I had Giannis ranked ninth. Does that count as a hit? Yes. Hell yeah. It counts as a hit. Nobody even knew who the hell he was. Well, <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know, I'm, I still had him behind. I'll tell you this. I still had him behind Trey Burke. I still had him behind Anthony Bennett. Oh, that's, behind that's Alex tough. Lang. Terrible. That's no, really okay. tough no, to hear you no, say, Kev. No, don't keep going. No, no, no we don't. No. Then it but doesn't this count. Is, <laughs> but this is, this is what I'm saying when it comes to, you can say like the Bucks you know, stole Giannis, but who did they have Giannis ranked behind? Well, I'm going to tell you, know you this. what I'm saying? A, cu- a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or no, whenever this quarantine started, so one of the things I've been doing is cleaning out uh, uh, game rooms, attics, et cetera, and I found all this, like, memorabilia that I just collected over the years because I never throw anything away. And I don't know if you saw this, but I posted it on Twitter about, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, whenever the quarantine started. I found this poster that I had from Giannis's rookie year. Um... You could probably find it on my feed. And it is a poster that they gave out. And it says Greek and still growing. And it's side by side Giannis on draft night and Giannis at the beginning of their season. And it's like almost like a growth chart. And he grew like two and a half, three inches from June until when he, when he, uh, you know, started playing for the Bucks. And so, like, did the Bucks predict? That Giannis is going to be six eleven instead of six nine, like I, I guess you could say that, you know. But <laughs> how could you have known, right, that he was going to be growing three more inches? I mean, and and is six nine or six eight Giannis? Is he Giannis? Well, he's look six eight. Giannis is still a great player. 
but he's not six eleven, Giannis. You'd admit that, right? Oh, like oh of course, of course. Right? That, that so, makes a, that makes and, a difference. I mean, that, that that's the in, difference. That's the difference. Like that's what makes him modern, Shaq. No, and that's that, four that additional height in the four months. I mean, they gave this poster out. I have it in the four months from they drafted him to when they started the season, and it's a side by side picture of Giannis on draft night and Giannis in his Bucks uniform, and he's significantly taller. You know, within four months. And it's like, okay, like, uh, that's just lucky. Um, How could you know? You can't know that somebody's going to grow to be that tall. So who knows? In an alternate dimension, maybe he stays the height that they drafted him, and he's pretty good, but he's not, you know, friggin' best player in the league, MVP, Hall of Fame talent. I don't know. You know, it's fascinating. Like, Giannis, we're going to look back at him whenever his career is over, and think about all the the mystery that surrounded him when he was first drafted and think about how he did get taller and stronger and he got more athletic too. Well, the other thing is, how can you know? You remember those old films, Kevin? I mean, he was playing against nobody. I know. He was playing in the Greek A2 league at the time and just a bunch of scrawny little white guys (laughs) for the competition. It was fun to watch. (laughs) I mean, looking back now, it's crazy. But, but, but the thing is, is like, at the time, I'm I'm like just skimming through my article I wrote at the time. At one paragraph I wrote, most likely Giannis will will be a solid to good role player like Nicholas Batum or Lamar Odom. But once again, it's hard to pinpoint both his floor and ceiling as a player due to his age and lack of experience. With time, his potential will become much more clear. This is what adds to the mystery, blah, 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 blah. But point is, is that at, at that time, there were a lot of Nicholas Batum comparisons, another bigger overseas player, you know, you mentioned Chris how he was only six eight, six nine at the time, like Batum is. Uh, there were there was comps like that that were good results for him. If that's what he became as a player, that would have been a good pick at fifteen for the Bucks. But nobody could have seen this coming. Nobody. Oh, if you're six, but if you would admit you're six eight, six nine, you really got to be able to shoot. And so that sure. would have showed up. Yeah. That would that would have yeah. showed up a lot more because yeah. e- even now he still is a guy that people will let shoot, like in the pick your poison, you know, decision. He, you know, and it's gotten yeah, better. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. And and that's that's what I wrote about this week on the Ringer. You know, Giannis last week on Instagram posted just got done watching Chris Bosh and Paul Pierce highlights. Who should I watch next? So my editor Justin Verrier saw that post and got the idea. Of like, well, yeah, who should Giannis watch next? And so I this week on the Ringer, I wrote about what he could take from Bosch. And from Bosch, I mentioned that he could develop the face-up post-scoring. Giannis never faces up in the post now because he hasn't established his mid-range jumper, which is better this year. He's shooting 42% from mid-range, which is not great, but it's solid. If he establishes that, he can do more face-up moves and be a more dynamic post-threat. From Paul Pierce take the ability to hit more tough contested jumpers off the dribble, which could help him in playoff situations. And then I mentioned Kevin Garnett, the passing ability from KG, one of the best passing big men we've ever seen in the league. As Giannis continues to get better and better as a scorer, and keep in mind, he's still only 25 years old. He will get better. That passing ability might be the next thing that continues to separate him from nearly everybody else in the league as a talent. And it's it's really amazing, though, just to look back at what he was when he was facing those little Greek guys, Chris. And <laughs> you see the you see the glimmers, you see the transition ability back then. You see the length. You see how 
quickly he covered ground, you still couldn't have seen what he is today and to still be thinking about at 25 when he's about to win his second consecutive MVP. It's really remarkable that it's still fair to think about how he's going to continue to get better. How lucky are we to watch basketball? Oh, God. He's only 25. In the age of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I yeah, mean, what is he it's what, remarkable. He's, tw- he's 25. What's he going to look like, you know, when he's 30 years, years old? Yeah, yeah, four or five years from now. I mean, it, it's uh, it's going to be a great, great story someday when he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame and we're looking at him when he was a rookie and he was so skinny. It's really thankful to watch a guy like him today. I, I, not today, though. I look forward to <laughs> when basketball is back and watch him again. I, I, I miss watching Giannis. This has been a fun one. Kevin, have a great weekend. It has been a fun one, Chris. I'm, 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 I'm still having fun. No basketball games are being played, but I'm, I'm having fun talking hoops with you guys twice a week. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing another episode. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you on Tuesday. Tuesday.